Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Project Church. How's everybody doing? Man, I love you. I love you. Caleb got to talk to you guys last week, and he was in Mark 12. And it was so nice that he got to greet you, but I'm excited to greet you again um, because I know we say this periodically, but have we ever told you how much we love you? Have I told you lately? Donica knows. Yeah. I love you. We love you. And I was asked the question, man, are you excited to get back in the pulpit? And are you excited to preach? And when I thought about the message today, I thought excited may not be the right word. You know, sometimes we come in here and we expect to be filled with the hope of God, right? And the goal for every preacher who steps foot on the stage is that we would share the hope of Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is, because we're in this world, the world affects us sometimes, and we don't like the truth of the word. And there's a moment where we sometimes question the word of God. So that's part of the reason why we preach in these books of the Bible, and we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because there are going to be some scriptures that we as preachers don't want to talk about, and we as the church don't want to talk about, because the reality of the scripture will really make us ask questions about our faith. So when she asked me, are you excited to preach? I go, yes. But there's some truths that I believe that we need to be challenged by today, and I'm saying that because I was challenged as I was preparing. And the word isn't just supposed to tickle our ears and bring us hope. The reality of the truth of God's word and us accepting the truth should change us and give us a new hope. New hope, new wine. We come together under the banner of truth and it's it's God's word. And so get ready because it's going to be intense. Because we're talking about the end times. If you've been with us for very long, you've known that we are in the book of Mark and we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But in the next few weeks, we're going to kind of take a um, a focus on the end times because these last couple um, chapters of Mark are really just focusing on end times. End times. Does anybody remember the days where there was something called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? Was anybody like scared when they came to the end of the year that everything that they had talked about in the movies and from the pulpit would like, like everybody would disappear and you'd be left behind? 
Does anybody remember the Left Behind series? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just go with me. Um, there were two characters, Buck and Chloe, um, and it's really funny, side note, Buck and Chloe, it follows them through the end times. They're the, the main characters. It follows them and their family through the end times. But at the time, I never knew anybody in my life named Chloe. So when I read the books, it was Buck and Chlo. <laughs> That's the only reason why I brought up the book. Because <laughs> then I finally realized, got it from, I'm like, oh, Chlo, I watched the movie. The movie's scary because there's people on the plane and all of a sudden their clothes are left there and you're on the plane by yourself and the pilot was raptured and caught up in heaven and it was scary. And then I was like, oh my gosh, fucking Chloe. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but here's the truth of what the word of God says. There are 330 pro prophecies of Jesus' coming. And Jesus' coming... His first coming and then his second coming is all leading to the end, to the end times. A third of those prophecies talk about his first coming. And that was fulfilled when Jesus came as a baby, right? And he came into this world. So you can believe and count on the two-thirds, the 200 plus other prophecies to come true, right? But here's the thing about our culture, and this is what I'm talking about. There's so many questions about what truth actually is nowadays. And what I, what I find is that we're such a self-sufficient culture because we have Google. When Caleb and I get tired of answering our kids' questions, we're just like, just Google it. And they just take our phones and they're like, Siri, how many dinosaurs were there in blah, 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 blah. And then, oh, thank God, answer those dinosaur questions for us, Siri. But we've become so self-sufficient because we have everything at our fingertips. I was talking to some moms who, um, they're, they're probably grandmothers now, but they were like, there came a point where your generation stopped asking us for recipes because all the recipes are online. And, it, and there's been this, this disconnect from the generation before us that had the fear of God in them. Maybe they scared some people into um, believing Jesus, but there was a real fear of the Lord in generations previously, but now in a culture that's so self-sufficient and we have all the answers, it, we don't rely on the word and we sometimes don't even trust the word. Here's the thing about the end times. There's a lot of questions surrounding and there's a lot of mystery to the scripture. And I'm afraid that our culture doesn't like mystery. We like answers and we want them now and we want them right away. We want to Google it. We want to ask Syria, and then we're fine. We're, we're, we're good. We got the truth. But here's the thing. Our faith journey is a matter of God unraveling and revealing his mysteries to us. And I believe end times, I'm not going to get into all the different beliefs in it, but I believe the end times is another mystery that God is trying to beckon us into the discovery of what he has for us in the mystery. And so I want you to listen to me, not like the world listens, just wanting the answers and wanting the truth and just being a know-it-all. I want you to understand there's a mystery in this, and God is wanting us to pay attention. We're not... I mean, there's been times where I, I noticed that churches just stopped talking about the end times because it, it creates too many more questions. 
But I'd rather you ask God questions and me not have all the answers and discover the word for itself. And understand that it is the truth that will guide us. I believe it's going to move us towards relationship with Jesus and move us towards the mission that he has for us. So Mark 13, 1 through 13. I'll pick it up there and I'm continuing from where Caleb was talking. He talked about Jesus' last Wednesday before he was crucified. This is a conversation he's having with his disciples Wednesday evening and two days later, Friday, he's going to be crucified. So remember that. Mark 13, 1, follow me, it's 13 verses. And as he came out of the temple, he'd been preaching and teaching all day, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The temple, it was built by Herod the Great. It was a 50-year process. It was a beautiful thing. It was mar- white, had white marble, a limestone, and it was just a grand structure, probably one of the most breathtaking structures in the ancient world, one of the most beautiful engineering feats that, that those people had ever seen. And so his disciples were marveling at it, but Jesus says, there will be left here one There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, he's looking over at the temple. They've walked out of it now. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? In other words, when will this temple be destroyed? You're saying it's going to be destroyed. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. The truth is not always feel hope-filled. Welcome to church. Famines and earthquakes and destruction. Verse 9, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious before, beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Who's encouraged in the house today? <laughs> Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your truth sometimes in our minds can be hard, but it really does bring us hope. So I pray that you would infuse us with heavenly hope through the truth of your word. May it change us, transform us, move us towards relationship with you and move us towards the mission that you have for us in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So you see the disciples are interested in the foretelling of the destruction of the temple. In Mark's gospel, that's what you see. But if you read this account in Matthew's gospel, 
you see that they're asking three questions. Number one, when will the temple be destroyed? Number two, when will Christ return? And three, when will everything end? When is the end of time? So I want to propose to you and ask that you wouldn't be a lackadaisical Christian that just says, well, he's coming one day. He's giving us instruction and he's giving us guidance for what to expect in the end times. You know why? Why does, why does he do this? Why does he let us know? To understand how powerful he is and that the end will come because I, I'm in control of it all and I can end it when I want to end it? No. I believe it's because he loves you. He loves you and he wants you to be prepared. Church, we need to get prepared. We don't want to be lackadaisical and just be like, oh, yeah, they said something about the second coming. Jesus is coming back one day. But then we just get so lost in the distraction of building this life. And we're building something in eternity. We are eternal beings. Our home is not this earth. Our home is in heaven. So when there is ever a moment where you don't feel like you fit in or you don't feel like everything is quite right, you feel like there's just a longing for something great. It's because you were not meant for this earth. You are meant to be with your Savior and eternity. And Jesus, who loves you, is beckoning you to understand the truth of his word so that you will be prepared. You wouldn't get lost in the things and the distractions of this world. And Jesus, we repent right now of any distraction that has kept us so earthly set. Give us eternal perspective in Jesus' name. So what can we expect in the end times? Number one, again, hope-filled message, destruction. <laughs> destruction, verse 1 and 2 and 7 to 8, tell us. But what's cool is that first he's telling us something that we now here on earth, as we read these words, we realize that he prophesied that the temple would be destroyed and it happened within 40 years of the time that Jesus said this to the disciples. If you read through history, we understand that the Jewish people, they, there was an uprising and they tried to overthrow the Roman government. So what did Rome do? They destroyed the temple because they knew that that's where the Jewish people, like they gathered to worship and that was their Mecca, right? Well, the Romans destroyed the temple. So this happened 40 years later. So Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled and we can count on the things that he's going to tell us that are upcoming in verse 7 and 8. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are, these are but the beginning of birth pains. I mean, there was already war happening in Jesus' time, right? But when you think about birth pains... Well, women who have been um, pregnant, you understand this. And if you've delivered, the closer you get to deliverance, the greater the pain. And there's an escalation of pain and contractions. And that's essentially what's happening in this world. From the very beginning of time, the earth has been groaning the moment that sin entered the earth. So the earth... It's been groaning and it's been being destroyed slowly over time. And now we get to the end times. We are in the end times. Can I just tell you right now that we are in the end times. From the time of Christ to right now, we are in the end times. 
People think that's like this futuristic thing. They don't really understand it, and so they ignore it. But we are in the end times. Jesus is preparing you right now. And I want you to understand that, yes, we've seen a lot of wars. And they're only going to get worse, and they're only going to become more frequent. Do not be surprised. Think about it. In World War I, 20 million people were di- died. World War II, we thought, man, World War I, surely Jesus is coming. World War II, 72 million people die. Since 1985, 500,000 people die in war. Since 1985. Okay, that was was recent. The number of wars and frequency, it's escalating. I was reading this, that... A thousand years after Christ, there, were, there have been 50 wars. 500 more years later, there were 100 wars. 300 more years later, 250 wars. And 200 years after that, which is in like the last 200 years from our time before, there have been 500 wars. Think about earthquakes, the earthquakes and famines that he's talking about. There are scientifically approved 500,000 earthquakes a year. Did anybody feel the earthquake? Last week? Was it a couple weeks ago? People were upstairs in our office and the lights were shaking. I may have been laying down for a nap and I felt like I was like waking up from, I worked during the day too. <laughs> Never mind, okay. Um, <laughs> while they were working, I was home taking a nap. Okay, sorry. Uh, why did I bring attention to that? 100,000 earthquakes are actually felt. So there's earthquakes happening all around us. That is the earth groaning because of the sin that entered the world, famines. Since 440 B.C., there have been 2,000 famines recorded. There's destruction in the disasters that come into our world, and these are just the physical destructions and disasters taking place. I wonder what these disasters are bringing to the mental state of God's people. Destruction is going to happen. And if you have relied and if you have put your faith in the things of this world, then your faith that isn't rooted in the truth that you're not made of this world and God is preparing you for your eternal home, then your faith will be destroyed as well. What else can you expect? Deception. Mark 13, 5 and 6, it says, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. You know about this. You know about this in the last couple hundred years. There have been people who say that they are going to add to the Bible, and they have special messengers that have an extra word about what, the end times really looks like. It's called Mormonism. It's called Jehovah's Witness. It's called a lot of other religions that are distorting or adding to the truth of God's word. Don't be deceived. These special messengers are not Jesus. Some will say that they're Christ incarnate. Some young moon from Korea, he had the moonies. Everyone thought that he was Jesus incarnate. He was the second coming. Here he is. Do not be deceived. Millions of followers, you guys. Millions deceived. Others will set 
dates of when Jesus is going to come back. There was a book written, written by Edgar Wissenant, and he wrote in 1988, 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. Well, Jesus didn't return, so then he wrote a follow-up to that. 89 reasons why the rapture will be in 1989. You guys, it sold 4.5 million copies. It did not come to pass. So he wrote another book in 1993. Then 94. Then 97. And people didn't buy those books. <laughs> Matthew 24, 36, it says, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. We do not know the time of day. And that's not to be like, we don't know. So, you know, laissez-faire, is that the word? Or carpe diem? One of those expressions. We're just going to be like, whatever. Everything's fine. I'm just going to keep loving Jesus and filling myself with hope. No. Be on guard. Be on guard. Be ready. Be prepared. There's something for you to do. Be moved to grow closer to the one who's going to unravel this mystery for you. And be close to the one who's going to move you toward a mission. This life is not about you. If this life, if this life was about you, then you would be building your treasure here on earth. But no, this life is about a heavenly kingdom, and you're a part of that heavenly kingdom if you've come into faith and relationship with Jesus. And there's a mission for you to accomplish while you're here. Earth is your assignment. Heaven is your home. So we'll be expectant of destruction, deception, and division. And division Verse 9, it says, but be on your guard. Everybody say, be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Listen, be on guard, because what happens is that the church will be persecuted, and the real Christians, please stand up. Please stand Oh, sorry. Oh, that wasn't in my notes. I, was, I didn't even do that good. Like, okay. Uh, focus, Chrissy, focus. The real Christians will be separated from those who have called themselves Christians. But the ones who don't want to associate with actually following and obeying the truth of God's word, you can count on being persecuted by them. Division. Division. And here's the thing. Like, oh, yeah, the persecuted church, all the disciples, they were martyred. And they were martyrs. But you know that the persecution of the church is maybe less obvious to us here in America. And when we think about it, we think about the Roman regime who, like, yeah, took out the temple and, and like, yeah, killed a bunch of Christians. But in 117 years... More Christians have been, in the, last in the last 117 years, more Christians have been martyred than all of previous centuries combined. 
100,000 Christians are martyred every single year. 273 people a day are killed for their faith. 11 people per hour. One person every five minutes. Which is why we're going to continue to be the privileged church that we are to be generous to the missionaries that we serve all around the globe. That's what you're given to. It's not so you would feel good that I'm spreading hope. No, it's that the gospel would reach those who are unreached. That is the mission of us being generous people. It's not so you can feel good. It's not so that you can say that I gave because that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. No, it's because it's sending out the gospel into all the world to reach every person who has not heard the gospel message, who have not received the hope. It's not for your hope. It's for their hope. Eighty percent of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today, listen, listen to this. Eighty percent of all acts of discrimination towards religions are towards Christianity. We hear about a lot of people groups getting persecuted. Eighty percent of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are against Christians. So church, what are we going to do? If these are the facts and these are the end time expectations, what are we going to do? Do we sit idly and blind behind the, oh yeah, one day he's coming back? Or are we going to be moved towards mission? What does God expect of us? I believe that God's expectation is to make in distressing times a declaration. Hear me. A declaration. Does that mean that every single one of us need to get on the mic and say, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Get ready. Get your Bibles strapped on. Is that? Is it for you to be that person standing on the corner to say, Jesus is coming and marching around? Condemning other people to hell? If you don't, get saved. You're going to hell. It's the truth, but are you sharing that love or in pride? What, what is it? God's expectation is for us to make a declaration of love. Of love. Because you know what? The gospel is love. And it says in verse 10, it says in verse 10, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Church, that is our mission. Our mission is to declare the truth of God's word that he is coming back. And he's not coming back yet. You know why? Because he loves you and he's patient with you and he wants none of you to miss it. It's the most righteous FOMO in all of mankind and all of history. He does not want you to miss him. Don't miss him. The gospel must be be preached, must reach those who are unreached. And some of us are just like, okay, well, I need to better go to Bible college then. I better, better, like, go to Bible college and learn the word really well and be theologically prepared. No, in your distress, don't get stressed. It says, that was good. I didn't mean to rhyme. In your distressed, is it a rhyme when it's the same word? Okay, I'm trying to find my verse. It says this. 
And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious. Don't be distressed. Don't say, I better go to Bible college. I better get all the knowledge so I can really preach the gospel. Well, no. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in the hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. In our distress, I don't want to just yell in this microphone, get saved, repent. Because sometimes in our flesh, church, if we're being honest, in our desperation, what we think, when we think our love is so pure, we're just like, we're just trying, we love, we're loving them, we're just trying to tell them the truth. Sometimes that's in our flesh. But if we just love, then we allow the spirit of God to move in the hearts of people who don't know them, him. And his kindness leads them to repentance. Let us not be a frazzled church. Oh, they got to get saved. I got to go to Bible college. I got to learn this. I got to know this. I got to tell them. No. You know what it is? It's I got to love them. I got to show them in the way that I treat them. Oh, I got to be more patient. I need to be more hopeful. I need to be more joy-filled. Jesus. Nobody's going to want this gospel message from a frazzled people who are angry or impatient because people have not come to accept them yet. We have to have the spirit of God in us that's patient and loving and self-controlled. It's love, church. It's love. What does God expect for us? from us? He expects us to make a declaration of his gospel, and that's love. Church, love over fear, number one. Love over fear. Verse 9, it says, be on your guard. Okay, I know some people, when they know that the end time's coming and they know that things are, you know, like, how many people have ever seen the show? What is that show? Um, Doomsday. Doomsday Prepper? Okay, no one knew. Preppers? Doomsday Preppers? Oh, come on now. We're getting ready to save ourselves from doom and spending a lot of energy doing that when maybe we should be loving the people around us, not storing up just for ourselves. And, you know, maybe some of you are doing it in wisdom and you have a trunk full of blankets and all the supplies you need. And and some people, I know people who have storage units full of stuff. But ask yourself what kind of and energy you're expending because you're afraid of the end. Should we be afraid of the end or should we be afraid that our friends are not coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus? We got to love over fear and not gather and store up for ourselves. Although I can see some of you saying, well, then I'll store up for me and then I'll provide for all the other people. No. So many of us are staying on guard for ourselves And when we hear about this, we're like, oh, my gosh. This is a little scary. And then we're frozen in fear. And maybe we even question, do I really believe in a God who's going to destroy it all? I think there's some questions that we need to ask ourselves why we actually love and what fear we actually have. Love over fear. And make sure that you're loving people. Stepping out in faith, sharing the gospel, number one. Number two, we need to love over judgment. 
be on your guard. There's going to be deceivers. There's going to be deceivers. And we have to rightly distinguish spirits <laughs> around us. But you know what? When you're distinguishing spirits, that doesn't mean like calling everybody else like, oh, they're not saved. They're not saved. That's gross. Oh, they're filled with the evil spirits. No, it's identifying that there's hope in you. There's hope in you. God's wanting to do something in you. I see the spirit of God working on your heart. You may be afraid now, but I want you to know that there's nothing to fear. That's, that's how we encourage the body and prophesy to this body. And that's how we love instead of judge. We've got to be a church that's not judging all the other churches for how they are or are not reaching people. We've got to be concerned about how we are as our church reaching the people that we can touch. And here's the thing. It's going to look different in different churches because different churches have different assignments. We have an assignment. And it's every single one of you have a different assignment. So stop judging how everybody's doing everything else. Stay true to what God's calling you to do and be. Love over judgment. Be on your guard. Finally, love over discord. Love over discord. You know, sometimes I think we read this and I'm, she's saying that the church is going to be persecuted and these people are going to be, you know, the real Christians. They're going to be persecuted and the people who once called themselves Christians and who don't actually believe it or buy into that are going to persecute those Christians. There's going to be this division. But I wonder if we're so concerned about how everybody else is persecuting us and not concerned about the discord in our own churches and in our own body. Love over discord. Be on your guard, church. Because the persecution and the great division is going to happen outside of us. But if we're going to make it through, then the church better be united. The church has got to be united. You know how important it is to the heart of God for there to be unity. I, I just put a bunch of scriptures on one slide. I don't have time to read them all. I just want you to understand how many times, how many times Jesus talks about the importance of unity. That's how much it matters to him. Unity, church. Unity, church. It matters. If we're going to make it in the end times, we better be a loving church. And a loving church does not walk in fear. A loving church does not walk in judgment. A loving church does not walk in discord. I wish I could spend more time on just talking about unity because it is the heart of God. My prayer is that you would be so full of the love of God that when you walk into a room, when you see people, you're not afraid of what they think about you. You don't want to judge them, but you want to look at them and love them. My prayer even, you know, there's times you walk into a room and you're like, I know who I'm going to go talk to because not them. Not them. I'll love them from a distance. I think God has more for us than avoiding the right people in our community. My prayer one day is that I would walk into a room and love you just like I love my child. That I would love you that is a stranger, but that God would fill me with his supernatural love that says that you're my Charlie, you're my Canaan, you're not you're my father-in-law. I, I love you as much as I love my mother-in-law. I love you as much as I love. I want to love everybody the same. I think it's possible. 
They're like, oh, that's just a pipe dream. That unity stuff, it's just a pipe dream. No, it's the heart of God and it will take place. It's the heart of God. And if we're seeking the heart of God, it's possible for him to fill us with his heart. I want to love the way God loves. God expects us to present him, the bride of Christ. Well, represent him. God is love. How do we do that? First John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that he, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Abide in him. Verses 13 through 21, it talks about abiding in his love so that you might love others. His expectation for us is to make a declaration of love because love is the gospel. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us. That is our mission. That is his expectation. And that is now our declaration. Those are our expectations. Those are his expectations. And you know what? When we live out this life with his expectations, I believe he's going to do what Ephesians 3.20 says, that he's going to exceed our expectations. Do you want your expectation every Sunday morning to be more than just getting a tickling of the ear that makes us feel good? Or do we want to be filled with the word of God and the truth of of the word of God that changes us and propels us towards a greater mission that makes us laser focused towards those who are lost? Do we want and do we have that expectation? If we have that expectation, he will only exceed that expectation and we'll start seeing our loved ones saved. We'll start seeing our loved ones come back to Christ. We'll start seeing strangers getting, getting saved just because you walked into a room and you had a prophetic word for them. You're going to watch God do miracles in your life. We are going to be an effective church. No longer are we just going to go through the motions on Sundays. We're going to say, God, I long for your presence and I long to have your expectation so that you can exceed the expectations that I can come up with in my own mind. And here's what I love. I was reading the dictionary. I don't normally just read the dictionary. That sounded like I read it for leisure. I do not. I read read it for this message. I looked at an archaic definition of the word expectation. And it blew my mind. Oh my goodness, it blew my mind. Expectations, an archaic definition, is one's prospects of inheritance. Stop and think about this for a second. And I and I didn't have it in my notes, sorry, media team, but I, I pulled it up. Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Provided we suffer with him that we are heirs in Christ, provided we suffer with him, provided we go through the destruction, provided we go through the enemy trying to deceive us, provided that we go through the division well, provided that we suffer with him in order that he might be glorified. Church, he will be glorified when we walk through the destruction, through the division, through the deception with a heart of love that says, I will not fear, I will not judge, I will not judge, I will be about unity. I will be about his church. Those are his expectations for us, church. And it's your prospect for inheritance. When we expect the things of God, then we get an inheritance in heaven. We are co-heirs with Christ. Man, 1 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, the promise of his return as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that you would perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's saying to us today to expect him to do something in your life. And when you expect him to do something in your life and to change you and to move you toward mission and move you closer to the heart of God, when you expect that way, a world comes to know him. A world that's lost comes to know him. And then they can become, as well, co-heirs of Christ. Let's not be a church that is self-sufficient can just figure it out because we got Google and Siri. Let's be a church that says, I'm going to take down the idol of self-sufficiency in my heart. Lay it down and say, Jesus, take your place. Because you're the one who prophesied, was prophesied about. And a hundred of them have already come to pass. And I believe that 200 more of your second coming will come to pass. There will be disaster. There will be deception. There will be division. But I am going to be a part of a church that stands in unity and stands in love and shares the hope of Christ with the rest of this world. That is our command. That is our mission. And that is what? He's moving my heart to do. He's moving my heart to not fear man, to not judge others, but to fear him and him alone. Because he's the one who's predicted. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. I'm on his side. So what is this? Is, you're just trying to guilt me, mental loving, loving Jesus, following Jesus? Because all this doomsday, no. I'm talking to you about a, a father who is slow in his return because he's patient with us. He's patient with you. You can expect a patient God. That's talked about in 2 Peter 3, 9. He's patient with you. And you might be thinking, oh, God, I better give my life to the Lord before he comes tomorrow. No, he, I will give my life to the Lord because he has been so patient with me. He's a good father. He's perfect in all of his ways and all of his plans. This rescue mission for us to come to a saving knowledge of him is a perfect plan by a good, good father. Would you bow your heads in this place?
Oh, I feel his spirit in the room changing some of our heart sets to thinking that he was a angry, judgmental God. Oh, he will, he will have justice, but he's going to be patient with us and his kindness will lead us to repentance. So there's an opportunity in this room as I know that your hearts have changed like mine changed as I was reading the word. The power of the word changes our perspective on who he is. And we recognize I can give my life to a loving God. I trust that he's patient. I trust that he's kind. I trust that he wants me in heaven. He would not want to do heaven without you. He thought about you when he died on a cross. He was thinking about you. He was wanting you with him. And he was wanting you to not, no longer walk in despair and depression and anxiety and hurts. He wanted to set you free so that your soul could be with him in eternity forever. So if you're in this room and you're thinking, man, I wanna give my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't wanna be self-sufficient any longer. It's exhausting. Self-sufficiency is exhausting. Controlling my life is exhausting. Trusting in myself is exhausting because I always fail. I fail over and over and over again. I'm exhausted. And he's saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Just put him back in your heart. Say, no, you're not just the savior of my soul, you're the Lord of my life. If that's you in this room and you wanna make him the Lord of your life, not because you're afraid of him, but because you have reverent fear for him. If that's you in this room and you wanna give your life to a loving, good father who has good plans for you, would you raise your hands on the count of three? I'm gonna pray with you. One, two, three. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Come on, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else in this room that wants to give their life to the Lord and just say, you need to be the Lord of my life, I'm exhausted. I see the hand, amen. Church, why don't you repeat after me and all those who raise their hand. Dear Jesus, I trust that you are a good father. I accept you and the truth of who you are. Come into my life, be the Lord of my life and give me the strength to submit everything to you. Wipe away my sins make me clean, make me new, in your precious name, amen, amen. That's all it is. It's all just confessing with our mouth that we are saved, amen, and we'll be with him in eternity. Would you stand with me? You believe he's a good father? Yeah, he's a good father. Sing with us this song, and then we'll be back in just a moment. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. 
We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.